Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Well, the word amen comes to us and it's an untranslated word. It's a Hebrew word, just like the word hallelujah was a Hebrew word that they never changed. And, and it's, uh, you, you're, so you're saying a Hebrew word when you say the word amen. And so um, when something like that happens, it, it's not uncommon that a new culture, as we introduce Christianity in different uh, cultures, that they would take words that, that just didn't translate well. And so amen was one of those words. So when they would, would take a word that, that came through untranslated, it's because there wasn't a really good way to say that. And what's interesting is every culture needs more words. I mean, uh, when, if, has anyone ever gone to a foreign country? And when you went over there, you picked up words. Like, for example, as a, a kid, um, my dad was stationed in Germany. And so I spent three years over in Germany and, um, you know, there's a, a word that we use that, uh, that we would consider an American word, kindergarten. Well, kindergarten is really just a German word. Kinder means children. And then um, garden, obviously, you know what a garden is, right? And so a, 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 a bunch of children are there. And, and this happens over and over again. Well, in the church, one of those is the word Amen. In the Septuagint, which is uh, the Greek uh, translation, they use three words. They say, let it be. And so when they would say amen, it meant, let it be so. It was a way to be in agreement with what was just said beforehand. But what I want to share with you this morning, that there's so much more than just that. When we, when we, I want to expand your vocabulary when it comes to the word Amen. You know, when we say amen, a lot of times without even thinking, for us, it's no more than a punctuation mark. It's the way to say of the, the period or the exclamation or even the question mark at the end of a prayer. A, a lot of us, when we hear the word amen, we think that it means let's eat. Because that's the only time we hear prayer. Maybe sometimes that's the only time we say prayer. That, that is, you know, casseroles are of God. And if you say the word amen during preaching, it's like saying sickum to a dog, all right? So, matter of fact, I, I, I think this is, has been proven out. If you say, the more times you say amen while so, the pastor's preaching, the faster he gets through the sermon. All right, so, so you guys just keep clock now, and let's see what happens at the end of the service. And, and let's see, did we go long, or did um, it, we, we finish a little shorter than normal? Um, based on the number of times I hear the word amen. amen. Oh, man. Let it be so. <laughs> oh, that's the word of wisdom there, Pastor. I, I, well, we sang that. Well, 
I'm gonna, let me preach, Miss Davy. <laughs> if you start singing on me, I can't get to the end of the sermon. All right. Well, I do. So the more we look at this little tiny word, this four-letter word, did you, did you realize that amen's a four-letter word? Now, I don't know when, when people talk about four-letter words, that's not the one that comes to mind. Um, but amen, this tiny little word, the more we look at it, the more important that we realize it is. The more that we open it up and pull it apart, the more we realize that it's so much more than a punctuation mark. It's so much more than the ending of a prayer. And so the question is, can we say amen in our hearts? Well, let me first take you through Scripture and share with you what the Bible says about amen and maybe give us a fuller, deeper grasp of what it really means. And so if you would, turn in your Bibles. And and if you can't get there, it's okay. They're going to be up on the screen. But I'm going to talk about amen in the Old Testament. And so I'm going to turn to Deuteronomy 27 and verse 14. And and I just want to say something. Um, If you came in here today and you don't own a copy of God's Word... If you look in front of you, there are Bibles in front of everybody's uh, seat. And if you pull one of those out and you open up the front tab, it says, there's a little message in there. And it says, if you don't own a a copy of God's Word, take this one as a free gift from us. And so I'd encourage you today um, that if you don't have a copy of God's Word and it's something that you would like is that you would take one of those and make it your own. Deuteronomy 27 in verse 14 says these words. And the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice. All right, so the Levites were leaders of Israel. They were, for lack of a better term, the religious leaders. They're the ones who led the Israelites in their um, worship of Yahweh. And so it says there in verse 14 that they shall recite to all the people in a loud voice. And now it goes through a couple different verses. I just want to point out verse 16 where it says, Accursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. And what's interesting is, um, as they would say this, the crowd would respond. The crowd of Israelites would respond with the word amen. And so as I read this, I want to let you guys be the crowd today. In verse 16, it says, Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother, and all the parents shall say, Amen. See? Now, now there's a bunch of other one, of, of those versions and, and each one has a curse with it. And what was happening when the, the children of Israel would say, amen, when the parents would say, amen, they were saying, yeah, if my kid does that, you know, you grab them by the ears and you shake them a little bit. Well, you, if, if you study the, the Hebrew tradition, they did a little more and grab them by the ears. Amen. amen. Well, another book in the Old Testament where we see the word amen used is in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm going to read two verses to you in verses 5 and 6. And it says this, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And so what's happening is here is they are going back to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. 
And Ezra and Nehemiah were the leaders of this. And so Ezra, he pulled out God's word, and he is, he's up on a, a mountain or up a hilltop, and he starts reading God's word to them. And, and here uh, in verse 5 it says, For he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a church, but sometimes there, uh, somebody will get up right before the pastor, and they'll read the verses for the day, and everybody will stand and, and read the, the verses. All right. This is where that came from. This is something that um, it's a sign of respect. You know, it's not something that we have to do. If, if I'm reading God's word and you're sitting down or you read God's word and you're sitting down, doesn't make you less of a Christian, doesn't make you less iron of God's word. But if you've ever wondered, where do things like that occur? and Why do we do some things like that? Well, here's the, the tradition that it's in. Well, verse six, it says this, and Ezra blessed the Lord. The great God and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, Amen. Amen. lifting up their hands. Now, a couple of things that you just saw here are you saw a posture of worship. So as Ezra opened up God's word, and Ezra started reading God's word, and he started proclaiming and blessing God, it was natural for the people to say, Amen. Now, what, what Ezra was doing was he was doing hallelujah. He was doing, he was boasting in God. And when he boasted in God, it was natural for the children of Israel to say, let it be so. Amen. What they were saying to Nehemiah or to Ezra was this, that yes, we agree with your blessing, and we join you in hallelujah. We join you in boasting in God. We join you in blessing the God Almighty, who's going to allow us to build this wall, who's going to allow us to reestablish our nation. Well, it doesn't just stop there in Nehemiah. If you turn over to Psalm chapter 72, Psalm 72 in verse 19, it says this, Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Now, see, when the word amen is used, it always means certainty. And in this case, and you'll hear it, yes and amen, or amen and amen, what that means is double certainty. Now, a lot of times, I've, I've heard people say amen, and I was wondering if they didn't mean to say, oh, me. But the truth of the matter is, when we use the word amen, it is meant to be a word of certainty. And what are we being certain of? Number one is that we agree with what was just said. So whether it's uh, back in Deuteronomy where they were pronouncing a curse on somebody who did something bad, and yes, we agree that that should happen if, if they take those actions. Or if it's here in the Psalms, um, if it's in uh, Nehemiah where they pronounce great blessing on God and what he's done, yes, we agree with that. But not only is it, see, there's a twofold meaning to this word amen. Not only does it mean that we agree with it, but it also means that we acknowledge God's power, authority, and wisdom. What it's saying is we acknowledge God's sovereignty. So when we say amen, now I, I understand that, that we, anytime that you have a word that gets common, sometimes we forget. Sometimes we, we um 
the, the meaning, the impact of it starts to dwindle. So when that happens, you got to go back to your roots. you got to go back and find out why. And when we say amen, we're saying we agree with what was just said, and we are certain. But what do we base this certainty on? Well, let's turn over to the New Testament, and we'll find out. Matter of fact, um, the very last words in the New Testament, the very last word in the New Testament is amen. And if you turn to Revelation 22 and verse or 20 and 21, I'll read these to you. And it says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Amen. You know, anytime you see somebody's last words, you need to know that they're, they, they mean something. Think about somebody on their deathbed and they they call the family close and then they they pronounce a blessing those those words are dear and they they've got limited words that they get to use so they're going to say what's most important and so here at the end of the canon of scripture we see these words the grace of the lord jesus be with all and i want you to understand something that you can't separate these three words You can't have hallelujah without amen. You can't experience grace without amen. You can't say amen without experiencing hallelujah or grace. They're tied together. We see this in verse 21, the grace of our Lord Jesus. And the reality is this, that most of us don't even understand what those words mean. You know, what it's talking about is 1 Corinthians 2.9, and it says this, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God hath planned for those who love him. You know, a lot of us are just trying to get through this life. We're just trying to survive. We're just trying to get through this week. And we don't understand the grace that God has poured on our lives. We don't understand the grace that is coming. You know what? You may live this life in poverty. You may live this life without ever experiencing those um, ecstasies of joy. Of You fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. Because what the Bible tells us is that the grace of God is what gives us the ability to say amen. So we can't separate these words. And if we, we turn forward into the New Testament and you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 6, and, and I'll read this to you, and it says this. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen? How can they say let it be? How can they agree? With what you're saying to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying. You know, when it comes to amen, we need to be cognizant of it here in the church. Because here's the reality that we are not called to live an isolated life. God has not called us to be alone. Matter of fact, I would challenge you that God wants us to be in community. Uh, you see these pins on some of the people who run around the church. It says, ask me about my life group. You know why? Because we know that in these life groups, 
we grow together. We grow closer to the Lord. And so here in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul addresses the issue of speaking in tongues. And, and he says, how can you do that with a stranger if they don't understand what you're saying? And so the message that Paul is saying is far beyond the speaking in tongues. He's talking about the fact that when we um, carry ourselves, we have to carry ourselves in such a way that it makes sense to the outsiders. We have to carry ourselves in such a way that it's not just a private concern of ours. It's not just that we privately come into the church, that we privately worship, that we privately hear the message, and that we privately leave at the end of the message. See, the church is more than just one person. The church is a group of Christ followers. And I believe that Paul is telling us that God wants us to echo the greatness of God. How do we do that? We do that by expressing our affirmation. How do we do that? We do that by praying. We do this in uh, private and corporate prayer. Have you ever been in a group of people praying and there's somebody in there that uh, as they pray, they're saying, amen. Oh, yes. Jesus, do it. You know, that's the way we're supposed to pray. Why? Number one, it gives encouragement to those that are speaking the words. To know that their brother and their sister is in agreement with them. Because the Bible tells us that where two or three are gathered, there am I. It says if two would agree, it is sure thing to be done. You know, the problem though here is this. Now, we come into the church, and we lift up our prayers in private, and church is a better way. There's a much better way. The much better way is this, is if we lift up our prayers out loud, so that, that those are with us, we can hear them whisper, amen, let it be so, I agree. I have confidence in God that he's going to do what you just said. Where we whisper, yes, yes, Lord. Where we, we say, do it, Lord. Jesus, show up strong. See, that's what prayer is. And we rob ourselves and we rob those around us because we keep our prayers private. We keep our prayers away from other people's ears. And so they don't get to hear the the proclamation, and then when the answer comes, they don't have the faith built because they saw God answer a prayer. You see, when you're sitting in a group of five or six people and you hear the yeses and the amens and do it, Lord, it's like background music. It gives strength and, to the one who's praying and allows those that are hearing it to join him and her in their prayer. The big question that we really have to ask ourselves when it comes to amen is this. Do we listen to other people's prayer with the same longing that we go to God in prayer? Let me share with you what I mean. 
Have you ever seen something on Facebook and somebody puts a prayer request out there and, and we reply, praying, I'm praying for you? And I wonder if do we stop just for 10 seconds to stop and pray over that matter? Or do we just stop long enough to type the words? This week, uh, I have been sick. The last four days, I have, I, I shouldn't tell you, but uh, I spent more time in the bathroom than I did anywhere else. And when I wasn't there, I would be sitting in a chair or on the couch, and um, my stomach was, was hurting. And then I started to think about my sister who had just had surgery on Tuesday and about the pain that she must be going through and follow-up of that surgery. And so my prayer changed as I started praying for my sister. So every time that I hurt, my sister got prayed for. Not too long ago, Ray Barnes had shared that his granddaughter was having some physical issues and asked everybody to pray. And so I was praying. But then two days later, I found myself in the ER waiting room while our grandson Declan was being treated. And I found myself praying for Ray's granddaughter much differently. It's 3 a.m. this morning. I wake up. Not going back to sleep. I started praying for you. Started praying down this side. Prayed down this side. Prayed for those that I could see your face. Those of you who've turned in prayer cards, I prayed over those cards. I prayed for jobs. I prayed for healing. I prayed for relationships. The only unfortunate thing was, and I wouldn't wake you guys up at 3 o'clock to be there, but there was no one there to say amen with the prayer. Now, I think God still heard the prayers. I think God still will answer the prayers. But do you see how much more beautiful it is when you get to share in your prayer life? So much more to amen than just the end of a prayer. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, in the first chapter, in verse 20, it says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. I believe that Paul took this familiar word, amen, that quickly lost its meaning with overuse because we say it over and over again, probably the most used religious word in all of our lives, amen. And he packed it with a powerful theological message. And what he was saying was this, that every promise that you claim inside this canon of Scripture, you can say, let it be so in my life. Why? Because of Christ and for the glory of God. See, you read God's promises and you think you don't deserve them. And you know what? You're right. You don't. The truth of the matter is I don't. But because of what Christ did on the cross, 
It's through him that we utter, amen. Let it be so to God for his glory. And when we get ourselves out of the way and we start lifting up Jesus, when we get ourselves out of the way and we start letting God get the glory, you'll be amazed at what happens. Turn over to Revelation chapter, the first chapter. And there's amen and hallelujah. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. There are going to be people when Jesus comes back that will not spend eternity in heaven. They'll spend eternity separated from Jesus Christ. And the answer to that is let it be so. Just as Deuteronomy started with that those who do these deeds are cursed, let it be so. Those who do not call upon the name of Jesus Christ will spend an eternity without him. Let it be so. And we don't say that because we're glad that they don't make it. We say that because they had the opportunity. You know, I I find it difficult when people criticize our Christian faith. How could God? When you know what all God did. Let me share one last thing about amen, and that is amen in life. Life happens. We're going along. Everything seems fine. The job is great. The paychecks are coming in. There's food in the cupboard. There's clothes in the closet. Life's good. And then out of nowhere, bam, life hits you. And when you look at everything in your life, you're like, there's, no, there's nothing that, I didn't deserve that. I didn't deserve to get fired. I didn't deserve to lose that job. I didn't deserve to not have money to be able to pay for my children. And it doesn't make any sense. Matter of fact, I think of a, a country song theologian who, who wrote these wise words. He says, Sarah's old car is about to fall apart and the washer quit last week. We had to put mama in the nursing home. And the baby's cutting teeth. I didn't get much work this week, and I got bills to pay. And then the person singing the song said, And I know this ain't what you want to hear, but it's what I'm going to say. Sounds like life to me. And the reality is, folks, that life happens. But the most important thing when life happens, the most important thing to God is that you claim him to be your God. And the best way that we can do this is by saying, amen. By saying, let it be so. By saying, I have confidence in your sovereignty, God. And there's no, you know, last or two weeks ago, I introduced to you a gentleman by the name of Habakkuk. And in Habakkuk, I I taught you about the word hallelujah and how that, that life is good and then you hit this dip and life isn't so good. And it's, it's in the dip, it's in the, the valley that we need to be able to say hallelujah so that we can get to the next mountaintop. And then last week I introduced you to a gentleman by the name of Noah. And Noah was an example of God's unmerited favor. There was no reason, but God chose him. 
And this week, I want to introduce you to a guy by the name of Job. You see, Job could say amen even when the worst of life had happened. Because the worst of life happened to Job. If you turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 42, I just want to read the verse 6 verses to you. It says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? He's quoting God because God had asked him that question. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Again, God speaking to him. In his response, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Who was this man, Job? Well, the Bible tells us that he was the greatest man of the East when he is introduced to us. Matter of fact, the Bible describes him as blameless, upright, that he feared God, that he turned away from evil. Now, we would expect to find somebody like that in the Bible. But what the Bible also tells us is that it's more difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than anyone else because they'll trust in their riches. And Job was a rich man. Not only did he have a, a, a family of uh, seven boys and three girls, his wealth was consumed in 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. They didn't count by money back then. They counted by livestock. Just think about what it would cost to feed all those animals and all the servants to take care of that. That was Job. And yet the Bible still says that he was blameless. He was upright. He feared God. And he turned away from evil. And in the first chapter it says that the sons of God presented themselves to the Lord and among them Satan came along. And when God asked Satan, what, what have you been doing? And let me just let you know something. When, when God asks you a question, he already knows the answer. You know, as parents, we're pretty good at that with our children, aren't we? Well, God's even better. And so he asked Satan, what, what have you been doing? He said, I've been going to and fro along the earth. And then God said, well, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him. And then Satan started making excuses. He goes, of course there's no one like him. You've put a hedge of protection around him. Look at all the, you've blessed everything that he does. You've made it easy for Job. And God said, all right. He says, don't touch him or his life, but everything else. And so he killed his Ten children. All of his livestock was destroyed or stolen. And here's what Job said when questioned. He said, naked came I into this world. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Now, now hear this. Job was not blaming Satan. 
He gave credit to God when God gave him those 7,000, those 3,000, those 500. And when they were taken away, he gave God the credit. And he finished with this, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, Satan went back up and presented himself to God again. And, and God said, what would you think of that? Matter of fact, I don't know if they've got some kind of video recording. I don't know what technology God has. But I think he played that for, for Satan. And then he rewound it and played it again. And Satan told God, he says, yeah, but if, if, if you'd let me touch his body. And so God let him touch his body. And he was covered from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head with boils. And it said that he sat down in an, a pile of ashes and just covered his body. And then he used a, a piece of bone to scrape the sores to make himself feel better. That's how painful it was. And his wife came to him and told him, Job, just curse God and die. And this was his answer. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? You know, there's a saying, it's better to remain silent and thought a fool than to open one mouth and remove all doubt. Up to this point, Job's been doing good. Matter of fact, his friends came to him, and for seven days, they all sat in that pit of ashes. Didn't say a word. And then they started talking. And they started making mistakes. And so I learned this lesson early on in life, and that was this. You can learn from your own mistakes, or you can learn from someone else's mistakes. And so I just decided that, you know what, I would rather learn from somebody else's mistakes. And so I'd ask people questions. If I was about to do something, have you ever tried this? And they'd say, they've tried it, and they'd, probably, they'd tell me, you know, I made this mistake and that, and so I wouldn't do those mistakes. And I think that helped me out in life. And, and I want to say this, that no matter what situation you find yourself in, no matter how good life is or how bad life is, I don't think that there's anyone here in this room that experienced the highs that... Job experienced, nor experienced the low that Job encountered. And so I think that Job would be a good one that we could learn a lesson from. And the lesson that we can learn from Job was this, that God is sovereign. Going back to Job 42.2, it says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Right there, he is saying, amen. God, you are sovereign. I agree with what's happened in my life. I agree that, you know what? You gave me everything and you've taken everything away. Let it be so. I trust in you. Well, in verse 3, it says this. Therefore, he's speaking to God. I have uttered what I did not understand. Have you ever heard the phrase, ignorance is bliss? 
You know, Job was going through this phase of ignorance when he spoke back to God. He questioned God. And here's the reality. Most of us see our lives as falling apart when God from heaven, from his perspective, sees everything falling into place. I look back and I think of jobs that that I didn't get or that I got passed over. And it was because I didn't get that job that I got a much better job two years later. It's because I got fired from this job that I ended up in this job over here that was ten times better. And I would have never left this job for this one over here. I uttered things I did not understand, things too wonderful of me, which I did not know. You know, we've got the choice. We can either say, that's it, I quit. Or we can say, you know, I've heard. I've heard about a guy named Job. I heard about a guy who questioned God. And you know what? I'm just not going to do that. And what we see here in Job's life is that he lived out hallelujah. Even when all was taken from him, even when he questioned God and God took him to task. Most of the book of Job is God speaking to Job saying, where were you? Now this is the man that in the first chapter, God pulled Satan aside and said, hey, check out Job. God was proud of Job. God was excited about Job. God knew Job's heart. Verse 5, Job says these words, I had heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I despise and repent in dust and ashes. So let me just share with you, right here, Job is embracing grace. You see, he thought he knew what, it was, what grace was. Now he understood what grace was. He thought grace was having all of those things, all of those possessions, all of those wealthy things. He thought grace was when it was gone to be able to say, naked came I into this world and naked will I return. But what he realized was grace was when God showed him who he was and that he had control over everything. And so a few lessons that we can take away from Job, are here's four of them. One is that God allows the righteous to suffer. Wherever you're at, if you are in a tribulation, you don't have to look for sin in your life. You don't have to look for dysfunction. God allows suffering to happen to the righteous because he chose to let it happen. Not because you deserve it. Another lesson that we should be able to take away from this is that it's easy to minimize our sins and to maximize God's fault. And I just want to say right here, danger, Will Robinson. It's easy for us to minimize our sins and to maximize God's fault. God, how could you do that? How could you let her get cancer? How could you let that child die? How could you, God... Folks, those are words that should never, ever come out of our mouths. It won't end well. Third lesson is that God is more concerned with your heart than your comfort. 
God is more concerned with who you are and who you are becoming than if you get the promotion, than if you have money in the bank account, than if you have the ability to have an extravagant Christmas. He's more concerned with who you are. You see, he's not concerned with how you dress up. He's not concerned with how you act. See, God sees beyond all that. He knows exactly who you are. And he will allow circumstance to reveal it to you. And the last lesson I think that we can learn is that often the way back to God is through healed relationships. I won't read them to you, but immediately following after verse 6, the Lord turns to the three friends of Job and he tells them, you guys need to go get some sacrifices and you need to take them to Job and you need to sacrifice them and you need to tell him that he needs to bless you to me. Because with what blessing he comes to me, that's how I'm going to treat you. And the reality is this, that there are people in your life that you need to be praying for. There are people in your life that have ridiculed you and made fun of you. They made fun of you when you lost your job. They made fun of you when your divorce happened. They made fun of you. They questioned your Christianity, your credentials. And yet God is telling you that you need to bless them. You need to pray for them. You. Why? Because that's what he did. When it was your sin that put him on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. Let me share with you one more verse. Psalm 106, verse 48. It said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, from everlasting even unto everlasting. Let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let me ask you this question that everybody wants to know the answer to. Why did God, or I'm sorry, why did Job have to go through his ordeal? He was upright. He was as good as you get. He was a rich man who loved God. Like, these two things don't line up. Find the richest people you know, and you probably won't find them here in church or any other church. Their faith is in their wealth. And yet, here was a man who had riches beyond anything that we could think or wish, and yet he loved God. So why would God allow him to go through that? Why would God allow him to suffer? Why would God allow him to lose everything? His ten children to be afflicted physically. Why would God allow that? Amen. He allowed Job to go through that. So that millions upon millions upon millions of people would one day read this story. You know, I don't know if that really helped Job out. But I'll bet you that there's people that no sooner do they enter into heaven, they're like, where's Job? I need to talk to him. 
And they said, Job, it's because of your story. I was able. Friends, I'm here to tell you that you're going through something and you're asking yourself, you're asking God, how can you do this to me? How can you let this happen? And you may not find out while you're here on this earth, but one day you're going to be in heaven. And someone's going to come up to you and and you don't even remember them sitting in the pew behind you. And they're going to tell you, you know what? I heard about what you were going through. I heard about what happened to you. You didn't know, but the same thing happened to me. And I was going through something very similar. And I saw your faith. And I saw that you loved God. And because of that, instead of saying, that's it, I quit, you were the testimony that allowed me. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.